This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and analyst at MLB.com, joined by MLB.com National Content Editor Matt Myers. On today's show, we're going to discuss the most fascinating series of the weekend, and it is not Yankees Red Sox. We're going to look at Juan Soto's red-hot start to the second half, investigate just what on earth is going on with Luis Torrens, and Matt is dying to tell us about a fascinating D-backs Pirates stat. We know how to tease the hot stuff. We're also going to be joined by our friend Mark Feinstein, who's going to help educate us on the upcoming trade deadline. But first, when you look at the series this upcoming weekend, you might say to yourself, wow, Red Sox Yankees, That's is that the most interesting series? No. I'm so excited, Matt, to watch Brewers White Sox. And I know I start off these shows with jokes a lot, and I, I'm not kidding here. I'm like 100% serious. Brewers White Sox is such a fascinating, interesting series. Two first place teams. It is. I, I wish I'd gone back and looked this up, honestly. I want to know the last time, uh, and I hope I'm not setting myself up for someone to say like three weeks ago, <laughs> that there was a Yankees Red Sox series, and on Sunday it wasn't the Sunday night game on ESPN. I know they were last week, so that's probably part of it. Um, White Sox Brewers is the Sunday night game on ESPN. And when you look at the starting pitchers, it's phenomenal, right? On Friday, Freddy Peralta versus Giolito. On Saturday, Corbin Burns versus Carlos Rodon. And on Sunday, Brandon Woodruff versus Lance Lynn. So not only is it a matchup of two really, really good teams, they each have their three best starters lined up. And I'm just, I'm so excited about this one. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's no question from a from a pure baseball standpoint, this is the series of the weekend. Both these teams are, I mean, I guess the one thing you could say is maybe, oh, they're both guaranteed to go to the playoffs. So like, where's the drama? But that's kind of the excitement. Like this legitimately could be, a World Series preview, kind of for the reasons you mentioned, one of which is that like both these teams are near locks to win their divisions, so they're going to be able to set up the rotations going into the postseason. And they both have, you know, as of this moment, obviously pitchers, you know, get hurt all the time and weird stuff happens, but they're set up with the, the front of the rotations are both really strong. And we're going to see it um, this weekend with their best pitchers all lined up to face one another. Yeah, and I think the White Sox have been kind of the slam dunk to win the American League Central for basically as soon as the Twins collapsed, right? Like two months ago, it was like, oh yeah, the Twins aren't any good. The White Sox are going to crush this division, and they have. They're 58 and 37. They're nine and a half up on Cleveland. They are very clearly winning that division. The National League Central was obviously not as clear. It looked like it was going to be kind of a four-team mess in a lot of ways. Well, the Cubs blew up. The Cardinals aren't very good. The Reds looked like they had a chance, uh, but now Castellanos is hurt. Moustakas is still hurt. Half their bullpen is still hurt. So even the Luis Castillo is pitching better. A lot of concern with them. They are six and a, the Brewers are six and a half games up on the Reds. If you look at fan graphs, they have 89% odds to win the division. And what's interesting to me is if you were to go look at the pitching team, pitching leaderboards, the number one team in terms of strikeout rate, White Sox. Number two, Brewers tied with Dodgers. Miss Bats. And do well. Um, I feel like we just briefly, before we move on, have to talk about the White Sox for a second. Uh, late last night, Jermaine Mercedes had something of a cryptic Instagram post where he said he was stepping away. And obviously, we don't have a lot more information than that. He's been in the minor leagues and certainly hope it's it's nothing like a serious personal issue or anything. But I, I want to do a quick mini rant, and that is why I'm no fan of Tony La Russa. I do not think Tony La Russa ruined Jermaine Mercedes' career. If you really thought... That a 28-year-old rookie who had hit 415 in the first month of the season with a 446 batting average on balls in play was going to keep that up. That's not a Tony Larusa thing. Like I strongly disagree with the way he handled the 3-0 home run thing. Uh, but even before that, Mercedes was slumping. And then after that, he was terrible. 
And this is just like what happens. A guy gets hot for a couple of weeks. He was never going to keep that up. If you want to say LaRusso's actions hurt his confidence, that sure, totally buy it. Um, but I don't think that is the reason for that. And I, I, I hope we see him again, but it's probably going to be on another team, I would imagine, if we do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as as you alluded to, you know, we've seen this kind of thing happen before where some player debuted and had some crazy, you know, the the like the he won't like kind of goes in the line of uh Kevin Moss, perhaps most famously for for fans of our age, more recently Chris Shelton, uh Brian Shane Spencer, Lahare. Brian Lahare, Benny yeah. Agbayani, guys like that who came out amazing and sort of not surprisingly faded. Some had better careers than others, but you know, the expectation that he was like here to stay, you know, it was it was a fun story while it was happening, but you have to do it for a lot longer than six weeks to sort of prove that that you you are what what you seem to be. Yeah, and the other aspect of this too is so he was hitting well in AAA. He went down in sixty one plate appearances, had an OPS over a thousand. But the White Sox are getting healthy again, uh, and they've had Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger who've come up and they've hit really well. And Eloy Jimenez is going to come back soon, and Robert's going to come back soon. And the uh, the opportunities just weren't there quite so much. So I'm really excited to watch this. I'm going to watch as much of this series uh, as I possibly can. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and get into our three batter minimum. You know what's a tough pill to swallow? Watching your team strand runners. You know what's an easy pill to swallow? The new daily multivitamin from official MLB partner Roman. The peppermint-coated pills are created by doctors and backed by science. Whether you're a five-tool player or just looking to support your general health, the 23 ingredients target men's everyday nutrient needs and overall well-being. Visit GetRoman.com MLB today to learn more and bring your A-game every day. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petrell and Matt Myers. As we move into our three batter minimum, I know we talked a little bit about this last week, but it's still happening and it brings me great joy. Juan Soto was in the home run derby. Juan Soto said he hoped the home run derby would help his swing, and he's hit five home runs so far in the second half. And instead of hearing it from me, let's hear it from Juan Soto himself. He was actually on MLB Network Radio with our friend Mike Farron, and he was explaining exactly what he thought would happen and how he hoped the derby would help his swing. I read a quote from you this morning about, and maybe you can share with people your thoughts on this. How do you think the home run derby could help you for the second half? It will, it will help me a lot. I think it will help me a lot because I, I was hitting the ball a lot in the ground in the first half. We're just trying to get the feeling, and I think I get it yesterday. I was getting that feeling to hit the ball on the air and just put it, put it in all the way to the stand. So I, I feel, I think I'm getting that feeling again. I love it. I love it so much. Uh, we've talked ad nauseum over years about how many people think the home run derby will mess up your swing and ruin it. And that's a myth. That's not really what happens so far in five games. In the second half, one Soto, five homers, two doubles, five walks, three strikeouts. He's hitting a robust 550, 640, 1400. I do think there's a portion of us that had the expectations for Juan Soto. So like insanely sky high that we looked at his first half in which he hit 283, 407, and 445. And we were like, eh, that's disappointing. That's still really good, you know? And the fact that we didn't think so says a lot about how great he was. I remember he had a 520-foot home run in the home run derby. I get it. Coors Field, no humidor. I understand all that. Um, but he hit one farther than Pete Alonso, Shohei Otani, than anybody did or potentially ever has or will. And just the fact that he said those words and then immediately backed it up, like not later backed it up, straight away backed it up. This brings me great joy. It is nice to see that it appears like when all is said and done that the full arc of Juan Soto's season is going to end up where we kind of expected it to. Maybe not. I mean, I think going into the season, there was a little bit of hope that he was going to have kind of like a, you know, a almost like Barry Bonds-esque year. I don't think we're going to be quite there, but he's going to end up. When all said and done, you know, top five, maybe top three in Wade Runs Created Plus and on-base percentage and all that stuff. Um, I'll also note, which also lends credence to the idea of there's no such thing as a home run derby curse. Uh, Pete Alonzo, who won the home run derby uh, thus far uh, since the home run derby, is hitting 364, 440, 682 with two home runs in five games. So clearly, um, it has not been a detriment for either Soto or Pete Alonzo. 
Or Matt Olson, by the way. Matt Olson's been fantastic too. I get it. You can look at the other side of this and say Joey Gallo hasn't done anything. The correct answer is it's been a week. None of this matters. Literally none <laughs> of it. I can say that I love Soto is doing this because he said he would and it entertains me, uh, but it's been a week. And let's not, let's not overthink uh, literally any of this. Okay, here's our second one, our second entry in our three batter minimum. We're going from, I don't know, one of the eight or so biggest names in baseball to one of the eight or so biggest names on the Seattle Mariners, uh, Luis Terenz. Um, So here's the thing. We're going to explain why we're talking about him in a second because he's mashing baseballs. But big picture, usually when we talk about a player, almost any player, as you might imagine, I follow baseball pretty closely. I can tell you most of their career path, right? Like, oh, this guy got drafted by this team and traded and signed as a free agent or whatever. I missed so badly on like my my mental guess of where Lurie's trends came from. I knew he was traded to Seattle last year from the Padres in that big deal where it was, you know, Ty France and Taylor Trammell and, and Austin Nola. And I remember that, right? But I had it in my head he had just been like a San Diego prospect. That's not true. That's not true at all. He'd signed with the Yankees as an international free agent in 2012. He got picked by the Reds in the 2017 Rule 5 draft and then spent that entire season uh, with the Padres, who he'd been immediately traded to. And as you might imagine, a 20-year-old second or third string catcher who's a Rule 5 guy didn't perform very well. 20 hits all season long and spent the next two years in the minors before getting traded to Seattle. So that's a big whiff on my part. Um, Here's the thing. He made the opening day roster and he was terrible on both sides of the ball. Sent back down to the minors on May 18th, came back on June 15th, and then Matt and I both saw, I think, the same tweet from our colleague, Jason Catania, and I've updated it slightly. So since he came back on June 15th, he has nine home runs. Only a couple players have more home runs than Luis Torrens does since June 15th. And you know these names, Otani, Gallo, Schorber, Altuve, Tatis, Vlad, Mike Dostremski. That's it. Are we talking about Luis Torrens now? Wow. <laughs> I mean, I guess we were just talking about, you know, it, there, there definitely has, there is some like your mean Mercedes vibes here. So we were just talking about him. That said, it's cool. You know, it's, it's fun when these kinds of things happens. I did like a quadruple take when I saw that, that tweet from, from Catania. And I'll admit at the moment when I saw that, I didn't even realize what team Terenz was on. So I was going to step <laughs> behind you. <laughs> so thank you for bringing me up to speed on how he got to where he is now. Yeah, he, um, is like as I said, he's a catcher, but he had a really rough year catching. I went and looked up some video of him, and it's not just like framing and pass balls, though that's an issue as well. There's everybody has a brain fart. I get it, but I, I watched this one clip where uh, an infielder threw the ball home, and then he tried to go to first base for the double play without realizing that it was not a force play at the plate, so he didn't tag the guy, and the guy scored. I think he got a lot of angst out of that. But the other thing that's interesting to me is so he had been kind of like part of a catching tandem for most of the year with Tom Murphy, except right before the all-star break, the Mariners called up one of their top prospects. who was a catcher, Cal rally. And so Terenz has not played a catcher since July 9th and has started six of the last seven games at DH. And I guess my question here is when I was looking at Nelson Cruz trade chances, uh, destinations the other day, Seattle was pretty high on that list because Seattle's DH spot has generally been pretty lousy this year. Terenz is not doing enough to prevent you if you think the Mariners are worth going for it, which is a different question entirely, from trading for Nelson Cruz if you're Jerry DePoto, right? I would think so, but I don't think I don't think the Mar- I mean, I think it's kind of moot. I don't really think the uh the Mariners are gonna are gonna make uh any like win now trades. I think they're they're still playing the long game, so I think it's probably kind of moot. I I've, I've been wrong before, but I think that it, I think it's probably moot anyway. If we move on to our third item in our three batter minimum, the Diamondbacks and the Pirates, two of the teams in Major League Baseball. Matt, please explain why we're talking about these two. Um, because the D-backs beat the Pirates yesterday, Wednesday, July 21st, by a score of 6-4. to four. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, why does this matter? These are two of the worst teams in baseball. The Diamondbacks have been just terrible off, all season. They're basically heading for the number one pick in next year's draft. It is interesting to me because the Diamondbacks can't beat anyone, but they can beat the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, I saw this stat, and it just kind of blew my mind. So they just swept the Pirates, and over the last, I guess it is, going back to the start of the 
2018 season, the D-backs are 14-2 and against the Pirates. Um, and it also got me thinking about some of the other sort of random, you know, looking up, hey, what, what are some of these other kind of like random team ownerships that we may not know about? For example, everyone knows that the Yankees own the own the Orioles. I think in that same span, they are 42 and 16 against the Orioles in that span. And then there's also, I think the, um, the Indians have a similar, uh, ownership of the, uh, of the Tigers and the Dodgers have one of the Rockies, but there's a couple of others out there just like this, this Diamondbacks, uh, Pirates ownership. Uh, and as Mike pointed out to me yesterday, the A's over the la- that same time span are 17 and one against the Tigers, which is kind of remarkable. The Dodgers are, 14-1 against the Pirates, I guess, is not that surprising. But to see the Pirates, I guess, not surprisingly, are at the uh, – since the start of the 2018 season, the Pirates are 3-28 and 28 against the Diamondbacks and Dodgers. The Pirates the, – the, the NL West is not treating the, uh, the Pirates uh, very well. You guys can think about the trade deadline and all the amazing things uh, coming up. I like to think about baseball minutia and random two te- one, one team over another team ownership. Yeah, to to clarify here, what I did was I looked at a, a list since 2018 of the largest winning percentages by one team against another and with a minimum of like, you know, five games. So there's not like three game interleague sweeps and the Diamondbacks and the Pirates came in fourth. And as you just sort of alluded to, the fact that there was a different Pirates <laughs> matchup that was higher than that, uh, which is against the Dodgers, it definitely made me laugh. So the next time the Diamondbacks play the Pirates, um, I guess I have something to watch for now, which is, I don't know, maybe a little bit unexpected. Here's the other thing, too. This is not the last time on this show that we're going to talk about the Pirates, because after we talk to Mark Feinstein here about the trade deadline, Matt and I each like to get into uh, random guys you should know. And mine is a pirate. So we're talking about the Pirates a lot on this show. I, I'm sorry. I don't know why we're doing that. But we're going to take a quick break. and We're going to come back with Mark Feinstein and we're going to get into some trade deadline stuff. I'm Xavier Scruggs, host of The Bigs. And this ain't your average sports podcast. This is MLB's first player-to-player show. You'll hear behind-the-scenes insights from guys like Chicago White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson. You know, I was the youngest, and, you know, being black coming up, man, it was definitely weird, you know, trying to have some locker room presence. I formed myself into a player I am today, so now there's a lot of respect that comes with that. Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher David Price. Double A was in Montgomery. We had six guys staying in a two-bedroom. I slept on an air mattress under the dining room table. And my guy, St. Louis Cardinals pitcher Jack Flaherty. My mom was scared. She was like, it's a scary place to be in because I don't want, you know, she saw what happened in Kaepernick. The best way to hear these conversations is to subscribe. Find the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen. We are back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. We are joined by our friend and colleague, Mark Feinstein. Mark is one of the foremost baseball rumor reporters, trade breakers, newsmakers, one of the 50 best baseball writers ever to come out of Boston University, a group that I consider myself a part of as well. Mark, hi, how are you? And I want to start off with a, a big picture question about this particular trade deadline. Um, you've covered a lot of these, and obviously we can just forget 2020 entirely because that was its own thing. But comparing what you've heard and what you expect for the 2021 trade deadline, how does that compare to, let's say, quote unquote, normal deadlines of years past? Like 2021 is still weird in a lot of ways, but more normal than we've seen. Like, are you expecting something normal-ish or different in the next eight days? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Secondly, I need to get rumor reporter put on my business cards now. I think that should be my new title. Uh, I think it's fairly normal. I think what we've seen in recent years is um, fewer deals are happening in early July or even June than we saw maybe 5, 10, 15 years ago. Teams now are so bunched up. The standings are so bunched up. The two wild cards certainly have changed the the math. I mean, like you said, forget 2020 with the expanded playoffs. That was an entirely different scenario in a 60-game season. But the second wild card, I think, really changed the trade deadline because you look at teams around the league and there's probably 18 to 20 teams that are within six games of a playoff spot. And so, you know, we saw what happened with the Cubs earlier this month where they were in first place. They lost 11 in a row and all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're sellers. So, um, you know, what happens in the next week could determine a lot in terms of who buys, who sells, 
Uh, a team that's five games out of the wild card could find themselves in the wild card spot or 11 games back, uh, you know, by July 29th and 30th. So I, I think it's just a matter of that that has made this more of a deadline issue. The one thing executives tell me all the time, they say everything's slow, no one's doing anything, but it all happened on the 30th because deadlines create that urgency. And with no August trades to fall back on, uh, which changed a couple of years ago, July 30th is it. That's your only shot to improve your roster. The part I keep coming back to about this particular trade deadline is that it is going to be impossible to find a good starting pitcher because the teams that are sellers either don't have any good ones or the guys who might be available are injured or not performing well. And I'm not sure anyone truly believes in Kyle Gibson as a difference maker. And I'm curious what you have seen in the starting pitching market, like the Dodgers, for example, are desperate for a starter. A couple other teams are as well. Is there anyone like is it is it even worth trying to find a starter? No. <laughs> good um, answer. <laughs> I think, you know, what you said about Gibson is 100% true. I mean, this is a guy who had a four and a half career ERA coming into this season uh, in eight years. He's 33 years old. And all of a sudden, he's got a sub three ERA this year. And a lot of people are saying, is this sort of a fluky outlier? He has one career inning pitched in the postseason. So is that a guy you want to hand the ball to in game two or three? Um, and you know, there's some ex- expectation that there's going to be some regression and nobody wants to be that team that overpays for him just because it's such a weak starting pitching market, uh, in this trade season. I think one of the reasons it is so weak, in addition to what you said about the sellers, uh, don't have good starting pitching for the most part, but this is also a pretty weak free agent class of starting pitchers. So you don't have any of those real expiring contracts. I mean, Max Scherzer's out there in an expiring contract, but Nobody really believes the Nationals are going to trade him. That could change if they go 0-7 in the next week. But uh, in all likelihood, he's not getting traded. Justin Verlander is going to be a free agent. He's out for the whole year. Zach Greinke is going to be a free agent. The Astros aren't moving him. Uh, Clayton Kershaw is going to be a free agent. The Dodgers aren't moving him. So, uh, you know, when you look at guys like Gibson, uh, you know, Jose Barrios is certainly an intriguing name. But my understanding is that the Twins asking price, given that he signed for another year, is just astronomical. I had one GM tell me the other day, I'll be shocked if he gets traded unless the Twins bring down that asking price because nobody's going to pay what they're asking right now. But the Twins are in a position where they can ask for the moon and the stars because there isn't any other pitching out there. And if some team thinks that Barrios is the difference maker to get them far in the postseason, well, <laughs> deadlines create urgency. And come July 30th, some team may say, fine, we'll give you you know these two prospects or whatever it may be. The Twins are a really interesting team at the deadline and not just because of uh, Barrios. Obviously, they've got Nelson Cruz, an impending free agent. There's been some murmurs around Josh Donaldson. There's also been some talk that if they can't sign Byron Buxton to an extension, they might put him on the market, although, of course, he's also uh, injured. Um, so that complicates things, and I think he's under, under club control for one more year. When you look at the Twins, what do you think? Like, Which of these guys do you think is going to get moved and, and, and where, maybe? Cruz gets moved for sure. Uh, I'd be I'd be pretty shocked if he didn't get moved. He's a free agent at the end of the year. He's 41. The most interesting thing about Cruz to me uh, is that everybody's just looked at it and said, all right, well, the Rays kind of need a DH, the Blue Jays kind of need a DH, the A's kind of need a DH. So those are probably the three teams. My understanding is that National League teams have made calls to the Twins about Cruz, thinking they all pinch hit at least once a game for their pitcher, if you get one Nelson Cruz at bat a game in a big spot, that could be valuable. Uh, you know, he hasn't played the outfield since 2018, so I don't think that that's going to be in the equation. But teams are getting creative, and I think that's where you're seeing some of these front offices thinking outside the box and where nobody would think that a National League team would ever inquire about Nelson Cruz. They are. The same goes with Trevor Story. Everybody's looking at who needs a shortstop. Well, there are teams out there that don't need a shortstop who are still making calls on Trevor Story. Some may be thinking about him as a second baseman. Some may be thinking about him as a third baseman. At least one that I know of has thought about him potentially playing center field, which is crazy at the surface. But if you want to add that back to your lineup, you fit it in where you can. So uh, back to the Twins, I think with with Berrios and Taylor Rogers and Buxton, they're in a position where each of these guys is a free agent at the end of 2022. They can trade them now probably get a better return for them. They can try to trade them in the offseason. CBA is going to complicate things a little bit until there's a deal. 
Um, or they could always try to trade them next season if things don't go well for them next year. Uh, you know, the Twins are in that spot where they're hoping to compete next year, but at the same time, they understand that, you know, those guys are going to be pricey to resign. They're they're a mid-market team. They're probably not going to be able to resign all of them. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if any of those guys get traded, but I don't think it's going to be unless the Twins get the price they want because there's no urgency for them to make such a move. I got to tell you, the idea of Nelson Cruz back in the National League gives me strong, like Jim Tomey with the Dodgers in 2009 vibes, yeah. <laughs> playing pinch hitter, basically. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? I mean, it, it makes sense if you're a team that has a little bit of a weak bench and you're sending up some guy who you, you know, you send him up there in a big spot in the seventh inning to pinch hit for your pitcher and you, you know, you're sort of just hoping he runs into one. Well, Nelson Cruz is a lot better than that. So um, it, it, it seems odd. But, uh, you know, in some ways it makes sense if you can get them uh, at a reasonable price. There are two National League teams I really want to ask you about, um, the Rockies and the Cardinals. And the first question is about the Rockies. Everybody knows that they're sort of understaffed in the front office right now, like Bradich left and then two assistant general managers left. So are they are they going to be capable of making the trades they need to make? And then I also want to ask you about the Cardinals. Why aren't they trying to, to sell? Like They're not going anywhere. I know the ethos of that team is that they don't but it feels to me like they should. Yeah, I agree. The Cardinals are one of those teams I I just can't figure them out. Like you said, they should be selling. Uh, They're not, at least as of right now. Again, a week from now, things could be different. Uh, That's not a team that typically feels like their their, uh, DNA is to sell, but they're in a spot where they have some guys who I think could bring back some decent returns and you know, quite frankly, they're seven and a half games out in the division, and I, I don't see them necessarily uh, catching the Padres or Dodgers or Giants for a wild card spot. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it seems like there's there's very little reason why the Cardinals would be holding on to this dream of a playoff run. But um, you know, I guess John Mazalak and, and Mike Gersh, that's just not the way they're they're generally wired. And um, as far as the Rockies, <laughs> they're interesting. Uh, Bill Schmidt is a first-time interim GM who, you know, is their draft guy. He's their director of amateur scouting for many years. And, you know, so he's been focused on the draft uh, until a week ago. And now all of a sudden he's got this trade deadline looming with Trevor Story uh, among the guys, obviously, who they're shopping. Um, And he's doing this for the first time. Now, Zach Rosenthal, their assistant GM, has been around for a long time. He was an AGM under Jeff Breidich for many years. Uh, very well regarded within the industry. And I think his presence there will help this process go a little smoother. Um, but it's it's certainly uh, it's certainly going to be a challenge for the Rockies because they're still kind of licking their wounds from the Arenado deal. Uh, you know, Austin Gomber's been very good this year. That certainly helped um, ease the pain of that trade, which was heavily criticized by pretty much everybody when it happened. It was like how you, you paid the Cardinals $50 million and didn't get much of a return and you gave a Baronado. So Dick Montfort, the Rockies front office, they're all very aware of sort of the public perception amongst their fan base of if you give away Trevor Story for nothing, you're basically going to be having given away your two best players and not gotten a whole lot in return. Um, I do expect Story to be traded. It would just be surprising if he wasn't. One GM said to me, you don't have to get a huge return for Story. The bar for this deal, for the Chris Bryant deal, for any of these other impending free agents is, um, you know what the compensatory draft picks are going to be if you don't trade them and you make them a qualifying offer and they reject it. You know what your compensatory picks are going to be. So you just have to do better than that. And uh, I have to think that push come to shove, there are plenty of contenders out there that are going to want to add stories back. John Gray is a guy who's going to be on the move. I don't think Marquez gets moved. There's no reason for it. Um, you know, he's signed for a few more years, under control for a few more years, and and has been very good. Uh, John Gray, certainly on the move. Maybe Daniel Bard could be a guy who gets moved, but Story's the big guy out there for sure. You mentioned Chris Bryant, so I think that's a good segue to talk about the Cubs because I think in many ways they're the most interesting team uh, at the deadline this year, given that they sort of had that core, and it feels like they're kind of they're about to break up that core of guys, you know, Chris Bryant, Rizzo, Javier Baez, they're all free agents this offseason. So if they're not traded now, they're, that, that, that group is going to be split up one way or the other. Two questions for you. 
is Chris Bryant a foregone conclusion he gets traded? And two, has there been any discussion or do you think it's something that might happen where they try and package Chris Bryant, say, with like Craig Kimbrell, who has a reasonable club option for next year to try and get, you know, maybe really get, uh, you know, a top 25 kind of prospect in all baseball that is? It wouldn't surprise me to see package deals, not only with the Cubs, but there are several other teams, sellers that have multiple players available. I mean, with the Cubs alone, you've got Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, Kimbrell, Zach Davies, um, you know, potentially Andrew Chafin is, is a free agent after he's got an option for next year. Um, there, are, there are a number of guys who could be on the move there. Packaging Bryant with Kimbrell would certainly uh, bring you back a better return. The top 25 guy, I'm not sure that's a thing anymore, right? Executives are so hesitant to trade their prospects. And one GM told me that the, the thing that's hanging over the heads of almost every front office right now is the Aroldis Chapman Glaber Torres deal. Because every owner looked at that deal and said, wow, the Yankees gave up an expiring contract reliever and got back a top 25 prospect, the number one prospect in the Cubs organization. Why can't we do that? And, you know, the problem is the Cubs. Theo Epstein looked at, at Chapman as the missing piece to end a 108-year curse. It was a very unique situation. Those deals aren't happening anymore. I mean, you look at what other, uh, you know, rentals have brought back, whether they're position players or relievers, you're not getting top 25 guys. Now, if you were to package Bryant and Kimbrell with another year of control, you'd do better for sure. Um, you know, wouldn't surprise me to see the Rangers try to package Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy or the Pirates to try to package uh, Adam Frazier with Rich Rodriguez, um, you know, or the Rockies to try to put Story and Gray in a deal to try to fill a couple of different needs for a team. One, one executive said it's like one-stop shopping. Go there and you fill a couple of holes with one deal. It would certainly get you a better return. Um, the Cubs are in a really interesting spot. And I don't think Bryant, Rizzo, or Baez alone are going to bring back huge returns because we've seen what rental position players bring back and look no further than, what, three years ago when the Dodgers traded five pretty marginal prospects to get Manny Machado down the stretch. Um, but then again, it depends on the urgency of the of the team acquiring him. Maybe the Mets decide – you know what, we're going to be without Lindor for six weeks. We need to bring in another bat, even if, you know, it's a little bit of an overpay. And Bryant, with his positional versatility, maybe helps them do that. So uh, I think Bryant's a really intriguing guy, and I would expect all of these guys to get traded because if they're not going to be able to sign extensions, uh, again, the, the bar is sort of that comp pick. Mark, I want to preface this by saying the answer to this question cannot be a member of the Chicago Cubs right now. Every year, it does seem like there's like kind of a surprising big name move. Like two years ago, at the last second, it was like, oh, wow, Arizona traded Zach Greinke to Houston. Where did that come from? Who's going to be that guy this year? Who's going to be the guy in a week? We're going to be kind of shocked that like a large name maybe we weren't all thinking about right now got traded. Well, isn't that why we're going to be shocked? Because we have no idea. <laughs> well, you're the expert. That's what I said. You're the trade rumor yeah, expert but, for our state. But, but, but even as the trade rumor expert, we were all stunned at <laughs> 4.03 that day when uh, they went back to Ken Rosenthal on MLB Network. And he said, um, the Astros have just traded for Zach Greinke. We were all like, wait, the trade deadline expired three minutes ago. What are you talking about? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I really don't. You know what? The shocking name for me, kind of even though we've talked about him a hundred times is Scherzer because I think he is the biggest difference maker that could be traded that nobody expects will actually be traded. And if the nationals actually went ahead and moved him, right? Scott Boris is on the record saying Max will only waive his no trade clause if he gets an extension. Well, Scott Boris says a lot of things and so does every other agent and push comes to shove. If the nationals are 12 games out and have no chance of doing anything this year, Max Scherzer is as competitive a human being as I've ever been around. Uh, and the idea of, of him going to the Dodgers or to some other team that really has a chance to make some noise, I, I just can't see him saying no uh, and not waving his no trade. I, at the same time, I would be shocked if he gets traded. So I would say he would be the guy who, uh, if he actually got moved by the 30th, I think that would make my jaw drop a little bit. Mark, you, you've written about – I think you wrote this in your piece this week where basically you said something effective. There's nothing that – also, there's also nothing stopping Max Scherzer from just re-signing with the Nationals this offseason, right? Where he could say to, say to Mike Rizzo, trade me now 
get something that will help our team and I'll like I want to be here like I can resign this offseason. So it's it's weird that that doesn't happen more often. It's it's happened a little more I feel like in the last couple of years, but that seems like a perfect example of a situation um where where it could happen where the the, the player has been so tied to that team and has had so much success there and such a fami- familiarity, you feel like that kind of dialogue could potentially happen. All right, one more question for you before we let you go. The flip side of that, I guess I'm curious, is like, which team do you think is going to be the um, the most aggressive in terms of bringing people in? I know that you know, being in New York, there's a lot of talk about the Yankees and the Mets, both people, fans wondering, okay, what are they going to do? They got to do something to push them over the top. But then, of course, you look at a team like the Giants who keep hanging around but could really use some pitching help, and I could see them trying to be aggressive. So like, what, 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 what do you think? What team do you think it is? I'm going to go with either the Blue Jays because I think they believe they have a chance to, you know, to make a second half run. And uh, similar to what they did in 2015 when they got David Price and Troy Tulowitzki, I think Toronto with that young core believes that it's maybe a pitcher, a starter and a reliever away from uh, being able to make a run and get to the playoffs. Uh, And they're, you know, they're getting back to the Rogers Center. There's some excitement about, you know, the Blue Jays actually returning to Toronto. I could see them being aggressive. The other team I'm going to go with is the Astros. Uh, You know, James Click, uh, this is really his first full regular year as their GM. Uh, It's a really good team that can just rake with the best of them. Uh, They've gotten some really good pitching this year, but I think they need some more pitching help. And I think they're set up where if they can acquire a little more pitching, whether it's a starter, maybe a reliever or two, um, they should go into the postseason as the favorites in the American League. Uh, And I think that Click knows that, and he knows that these years don't come around too often. He knows that Carlos Correa is a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, Zach Greinke is a free agent at the end of the year. And this could be sort of their last best window to try to really make that, that run uh, so it would not surprise me at all if Houston got a little aggressive here in the next week. Mark, uh, final question for you. It's July 30th. It's the trade deadline. I, like most people, will generally be staring at Twitter. What is your life like on trade deadline day? Do you have like six <laughs> phones that you're sending text messages to everybody, 12 computer screens set up? I have one phone. Uh, it never leaves my hand. Uh, basically, starting <laughs> on like the 27th, my phone will basically be glued to my hand when I'm sleeping. It's it's on full volume right next to my bed, uh, which my wife loves. And um, on deadline day itself, I mean, I'm flipping between Twitter and trade rumors and and you know a few other sites. And but most of what I you know I have alerts on my phone for everybody. Um, so if anybody reports something, I see it right away. Uh, it's, uh, you know, but obviously I'm spending the day trying to report my own thing. So it's, it's a little hectic. I feel like I probably settle into my office that morning around 6.30 AM and all of a sudden I look up and it's like one o'clock and I haven't eaten anything or left my chair. Uh, and so I'll, you know, go grab a, a coffee or something and then go back and then I'll all of a sudden I look up and it's like 3:55 and I'm like ah so it's a pretty hectic day uh it's um when four o'clock hits actually now it's like when 405 hits because you never know who's going to break a trade at 403 that Zach Greinke has been traded to the Astros uh it, it's it's you sort of get a chance to exhale for the first time in a few days and uh uh, I would say it's it's one of my favorite like 15 minute periods of the year is like 405 to 420. Mark Feinstein is our friend and colleague and national writer for MLB.com. You should follow him at Feinstein 365 days a year, but mostly July 30th because it's going to be a fun one. I think. Mark, thanks for spending some time with us today. Rumor reporter. I love it. We are back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Our thanks to Mark Feinstein, who brought all sorts of great information about what to expect on the trade deadline upcoming. Uh, Matt and I each like to get into each week a guy that you should know. And as I said before, mine was going to be a pirate, John Nogowski. Now, listen, I'm under no illusions here about what's going to happen. He, so far, is hitting 412, 474, 549 in his first 57 plate appearances with the Pirates. He does have a 476 batting average on balls in play. The odds of this uh, sustaining in any meaningful way are incredibly low. You may remember, or possibly not, we talked about Phil Evans in a very similar way like three months ago. When's the last time you've thought about Phil Evans, right? So he's almost certainly just going to be one of those guys with a hot couple weeks, and then you never think about him again. However, there are two reasons I'm bringing him up here. Uh, The first is because uh, he, he was on the Cardinals earlier this season, and 
we I went over to MLB Network and we did a Cardinals White Sox game. And I tried to come up with like one interesting thing about each guy. And I was like, John Nikowski, like, what am I going to say about this guy? He didn't even end up playing, but I was able to find an interesting stat about him. And so when I saw him doing well for the Pirates, I was like, hey, that guy, I remember that guy in 2019 among all upper level hitters in the minors. So double A and triple A. So there are like 350 guys who qualified. No one in the entire minor leagues had a better walk to strikeout ratio than he did. He walked 69 times. He struck out 54 times. That's pretty cool. That year, he hit 295, 413, 476. Here's the other thing. And if you're a Cardinals fan, feel free to turn off this podcast immediately. How many times have we talked about a Cardinals minor leaguer who didn't get much opportunity going elsewhere and succeeding? Eight? Ten? The Cardinals gave him 24 plate appearances over three years. They DFA'd him last month for Roel Ramirez, who faced four batters, got one out, and then was lost on waivers to the Mets. I don't actually think Nogowski is like the next big thing. I think when Colin Moran comes back from injury, Nogowski's going to lose playing time. But there's the chaos agent in me who would find it deeply entertaining if he ended up being great and uh, the Cardinals fans would get angsty about it. I didn't even talk about him jawing at Marcus Stroman, which I thought was kind of funny too. Anyway, John Nogowski. Here's your moment in the sun. Normally on this show, when we talk about guys, you should be, you should be, we should be talking more about, we talk about big leaguers. But today, I'm actually going to talk about a minor leaguer because this minor leaguer has ties to a, a somewhat famous uh, former major leaguer and also has one of the craziest stat lines uh, you will see in the minor leagues. His name is Griffin Conine, and he is a prospect in the Marlins system. Runner at second base, one out, the 2-2 pitch. Conine hits one toward left. Going back is Perlaza. He's at the track. He's at the wall. That ball is gone. Griffin Conine leads the high Central League in homers and RBI. That is home run number 20, RBI 51 and 52. I'm not sure right now you can pitch to Griffin Conine. Woo! So why are we talking about Griffin Conine, you ask? Well... As longtime listeners of this podcast know, I really enjoy what we call three true outcomes players, the players who will either hit a home run, walk, or strike out, a longtime fan of Russell Brannion to Adam Dunn to now Joey Gallo, and Griffin Conine, if he makes it, might put all of them to shame. Right now, Griffin Conine, who was just promoted to double A in the Marlins system, is leading the minors in home runs with 23, he's first in strikeouts with 107, and he is third in walks with 46. He has a 243, 377, 577 overall line. And his three true outcomes percentage, which is plate appearances that end in a home run, strikeout, or walk, is 60.3%. For a little bit of context, the MLB leader in three true outcomes percentage is right now is Joey Gallo, uh, the aforementioned Joey Gallo at 57.6%. Right behind him is Shohei Otani at 50.3%. And no one is the majors is above 50% this year. And Griffin Conine is above 60% in the minor leagues. And for those who are wondering, the single season major league record is held by Joey Gallo at 58.6 in 2017. Now, Griffin Conine is also interesting for a couple of other reasons. He was a second round draft pick out of Duke in 2018 by the Blue Jays. And the Blue Jays, as we all know, have made a, it is their thing to try and collect Sons of former big leaguers, Vlad Jr., uh, Bo Bichette, and then, of course, they also have um, Kevin Biggio, and I think they have some others in their farm system. But a year ago, at the trade deadline, the August 31st trade deadline last year, they traded the Blue Jays traded Conine to the Marlins for Jonathan VR. Now, obviously, there's a real nice family connection there because Griffin's dad, Jeff Conine, is known as Mr. Marlin. He was in the expansion draft. He was on the in, back in 1992. He was on the first Marlins team in 1993. And I went to look up at Jim, Jim, Jeff Conine, wondering, hey, is this a like father, like son situation where maybe Jeff struck out a lot, and you know he passed that on to his passed that on to his son as well? And the answer is kind of. Uh, Jeff Conine only finished in the top 10 in the National League in strikeouts twice, one of which was the first year of Marlins history in 1993. And let's get ready to remember some guys. Um, Jeff Conine finished second in the National League in strikeouts with 135 strikeouts. He was tied with Sammy Sosa for second in the National League with 135. And the man who led the National League in strikeouts in 1993 was Corey Snyder with 147 
for the Dodgers. And Mike, I know you're a Dodgers guy. I have absolutely no recollection of Corey Snyder ever being on the Dodgers. Wait, Cle- I, Cleveland legend Corey Snyder. He played for the Dodgers? I actually paid like close attention to the Dodgers in 1993 because that would have been Mike Piazza's rookie of the year season. And I'm looking it up now. Yeah, he played a little bit in 93 and 94. You're right. No recollection whatsoever. Uh, I've learned something about a guy. And briefly on uh, on Conine, by the way, this is this is the second time and this first successful time that the Marlins tried to get him because he was actually drafted uh, a couple years ago and chose not to sign with them. And then he went back to school, went to the Blue Jays, was traded. We've been doing this like guy you should know segment for a while. Is this the first time we've gone full minor leaguer? Like I feel, I feel like maybe that's true. And I, and I will say this: I will give a, a Jason Catania a, a tip of the cap for the second time in this podcast because it was C- Jason Catania who pointed out to me uh, a couple weeks ago just what Griffin Conine is doing in the minor leagues. He just he was just promoted to Double A last week, and in his first game, he went over four with four strikeouts. So of hopefully, course, <laughs> hopefully things will go a little bit better for him once he adjusts to Double A. Ever a little bit of context of how much the game has changed in uh, in. Uh, since 1993, uh, as I said, Corey Snyder led the National League with 147 strikeouts. In 2019, the last full Major League season, there were 37 players who struck out at least 147 times. We usually like to end the show with a rant and a rave. And, you know, you just gave me like a good rant topic with the very last thing you said. And now I'm unprepared to say it, which is basically that I saw the other day. Mike Schmidt was complaining about strikeouts today. And I'm like, wait a minute, that dude struck out a ton, like a ton. (laughs) He was the king of three true outcome guys. Like he walked a ton and he hit for power and he struck out a ton. He would have fit perfectly in today's game. That's not going to be my rant. I'm actually going to uh, seed my rant in favor of a cool story because uh, I'm in a good mood today. And I think it's kind of cool. Our mutual friend, Jake Mintz, who is one half of Cespedes Family Barbecue, uh, over the winter, he said, if the White Sox really hire Tony La Russa as their manager, I will walk to Chicago from my apartment in New York City. And then what happened? They hired Tony La Russa. And so you know what? Credit to Jake. He is backing up his words. He's not going to walk. He's going to ride his bike. He's starting today. Just left from Yankee Stadium. He is going to ride about 1,200 miles towards Chicago. He's stopping at 15 places along the way, almost all of which are for major league or minor league baseball games. Uh, and he's doing it for a good cause. He's doing it for a charity called Lost Boys, which is a Chicago youth sports organization that provides baseball and softball opportunities to kids in underserved communities. Uh, they're doing some cool stuff there. I kicked a donation to it myself this morning. And I just wanted to highlight that Jake is doing something that I think is super cool and a great memory for the rest of his life and something I would never want to do. 1,200 miles on my bike sounds just brutal in July heat. But good luck to Jake. Make sure you follow him at Cespedes Barbecue uh, to see how this trip goes. And maybe the next time we'll all choose our words more carefully before guessing about managerial hires. Uh, My rant for this week is less of a rant and more of just like a PSA for all the uh, baseball fans and analysts out there. Um, The trade deadline is next week, July 30th at 4 p.m. Yes, July 30th this week. It was put there on a Friday afternoon so that um, I think it was done so that there would not be trades happening during games. So we're going to be deprived of some of that, you know, uh, infamous hug watch. But I think it's probably better from a player's perspective. They don't have to worry about starting a game and a trade happening in the middle of it, so, which if, if they had done the, kept the trade deadline on July 31st, it would have been on a Saturday afternoon and there would have been a ton of games going on. And it would have been kind of um, a mess. Anyway, the trade deadline is July 30th and there will surely be a lot of prospects traded. And you will hear prospect rankings thrown out um, when players get traded. Often they will say if they're a top 100 prospect, someone will cite where they rank on a top 100 list, um, you know, my preference would be the MLB.com, MLB Pipeline list, but you will also hear Baseball America, Fangraphs, Baseball Prospectus, what have you. And if they're not in the top 100, you will hear them reference on where they rank on a team prospect ranking. But please be careful with this information because not all number one prospects are created equal. For example, the A's top prospect on the MLB Pipeline top 100 is catcher Tyler Soderstrom, who is number 80. He was ranked number 82 on the top 100. So it is a very different thing if the A's decide to trade their number one prospect than if they say the Mariners traded their number one prospect, who I think is now number one, if, if, if Juan Franco hasn't, hasn't graduated. Um, that is Julio Rodriguez. So 
just be careful with this information prospect rankings. The tiers of prospects are so it's it's really hard. I mean, this is good information because it still gives you context of hey, where do they rank within the team? But one team's number one is very different than another another team's number one. And please keep this in mind as prospects change teams over the course of the next, I guess, eight days. I misheard you or misunderstood you say tears of prospects. And I started thinking about Brandon Wood and Billy Ashley, because that's the sort of thing that tends to have with top prospects. Um, that's a great point. There is one thing I want to add, though, and I don't think I already said this on this podcast, but I apologize if I did. You're right that because it's the July 30th uh, trade deadline, there will not be hug watch, right? Because the deadline is in the afternoon and none of the games start until seven o'clock. However, July 30th is also a big day for another reason. It's the first game that the Blue Jays get to go back to Toronto. They haven't been there in about two years. And that's going to be a seven o'clock start against Kansas City. And I'm just trying to think of like, which guy was there and survived through all of this garbage, right? Like Dunedin, Buffalo, and Dunedin and Buffalo. And yes, we finally get to go back to, oh, I've just been traded three hours before the first game. Who is that going to be? That is going to be such a monumental bummer. And I don't know who it's going to be. I don't even know how many guys have actually been on the roster through that entire thing. Um, but that's going to be something I'm going to do. That is our show for this week. Our thanks again to Mark Kleinsand. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or having a suggestion, leave us a rating and review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Connection Podcast. See you next week. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.